Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this episode, I'll be talking to educational psychologist, Dr. Ken Resnick. While we may be living in a global pandemic, we are also experiencing a pandemic of parental guilt, which does neither children nor their parents any favors. Ken is a registered practicing educational psychologist. He also presents talks and workshops at schools for parents and staff and for private groups of parents too. He is the founder of the evidence-based Smart Choice Parenting Program. Ken's program has overwhelming success in dealing with the full spectrum of childhood development problems, from poor school performance and refusing to brush teeth, to regressive issues like sleeping in a parent's bed, to extreme disorders such as bedwetting, ADD and ADHD, and more. Apart from helping many parents and teachers, Ken has also raised three stepchildren successfully with their mother using the Smart Choice Parenting Program approach. I have known Ken for many years and know he has had amazing successes from both parents and teachers who have given me feedback about children who have been through years of therapy with no success. So please listen up. Welcome to the Win at Work and Life podcast, Ken, and thank you for making the time to be with us today. It's an absolute pleasure and thank you too, Nikki, and I'm really looking forward to our topic of discussion for today. Yes, it's a big one, Ken, because we live in disruptive times. The world is changing. We might even say childhood is changing, especially, you know, with COVID, we've had children at home doing school from home, trapped inside their, their homes, their gardens, their flats, whatever it is, not being able to get out and do what children can normally do. And many parents are actually feeling quite guilty that their children are not able to experience that pretty picture in their heads of a perfect, idyllic childhood. And I know that parental guilt and parental manipulation are pet topics of yours, even in pre-pandemic times. So perhaps let's kick off with talking through the trend that you've been monitoring for many years of overprotecting children. Yeah, so I've just to take a step back, which we need to understand, you know, we always say parenting does, uh, doesn't come with a manual. But if you look at early man, they didn't have a manual. It was pretty instinctive. They lived in their caves. They didn't just let their kids run out of that cave. They knew instinctively they would equip those kids with certain skills in order to handle whatever was out there. You know, whether it was building a shelter, whether it was learning to protect themselves, uh, surviving, etc. It's all about that. If you look at the Khoisan, they're doing exactly the same. Uh, if you get a good idea. So you're not going to have an ADHD Khoisan child or an oppositional defined Khoisan child. So, so what, is, what has happened that because we've got a rational brain, one and one adds up to two, parenting is an irrational activity. So we go and protect our kids, we love them, we do everything for them, and they're miserable. Because that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> Sorry, I have to stop you there. You said parenting is an irrational activity. That is, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that before. But as, as you say, it doesn't come with a manual. You know, it's not a color by numbers. You know, we don't have a coloring book. We can't color it in and get it perfect all the time. So it is about creatively responding uh, to the environment. And that's what you're really indicating with the Khoisan. They adapted their parenting to help their children survive the environment that they were in. 
Exactly, and it was it, it was more pretty instinctive than having to read up about what they needed to do. So if I can give you an example, you know, parents are bringing kids up. Kids can't bring themselves up. We've got to guide them into life. So let's say a group of us adults were invited to go to the deepest Amazon. We'd be totally dependent on that guy. If that guy sees a little ho-ho, panics, that whole group is gone. Or if he says to one of the one of the, the, the tour participants, has anybody read about the Amazon? Um, the guy says, yeah, I've read a bit about it. Would you like to lead the group? I, I mean, how's that group going to feel? Now, this is what we're doing. We, we, we're treating kids like they're made of glass. And I believe had our ancestors parented kids like we are today, we'd be extinct. We wouldn't have got out of the cave. And that to me is what we, we so we've missed the plot because our brains think rationally and we also think that kids feel things which they don't feel. Kids don't feel guilty. They're all about themselves. You know, they're born into this world subjective where the world revolves around them. And of course, if mom's going to do everything for them, well, why not? They just cry when they can't get their own way. You've got kids not speaking, they're whining, and you've got speech therapists with full houses. And parents don't know how to do it. The majority of kids whine. And they all got speech problems. But nobody's helping the parents understand. You guys are going through a hard time. Parents are really taking strain. Yet all the therapy is on the, on the child. Take the child out, have the kid assessed, all of these things, make the same recommendations. Kids use in therapy and very little improvement. So what I try to do is focus on the parent. Help parents understand their job because parenting is a job. It's a management job. That's all it is. And we've got to know, you mentioned it uh, right at the beginning of the program, what overprotecting does. So overprotecting keeps kids in a bubble. So what you've got to remember is that kids are born in a cot. A parent can keep them in their cot all their life. But it's up to the parent to open up the child's world to them. So that a three-year-old child mixes with three-year-olds. Four-year-old child, the world gets bigger. For instance, in a six-year-old child, ready for school, should want to go to school should want to learn to read, should want to do, uh, do maths, not give up, be well socialized, be appropriate socially, et cetera. So what is happening though, a lot of the kids are mixing far too much with adults and they're not mixing enough with kids. And we're sticking them on the TV, we're sticking on all these things and they've got attitude. And at the end of the day, the parents then are up and down with their parenting. When the child's good, they're just relieved, I mean, the child's naughty. Remember, parents are only human beings. There's only so much we can take. And if a kid's got his finger up your nose, tickling your brain, it's very hard to say, sweetie pie, I see you a little bit angry. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit crazy. So they totally depended on us to feel safe. Yeah, and this is the thing. Kids are not feeling safe if there's inconsistent parenting, if they're shouting in the house. And in the, from my experience, in most homes today, they're shouting and screaming which means nobody's really in charge. And when the kids are in charge, as I said, it's putting some guy that's part of a tour group to guide us through the Amazon. It's a bit chaotic. Mm. Yeah, Ken, you raise a really important point. You know, kids are not feeling safe. Now, you're talking about it from a point of view that uh, they're not feeling like somebody's in charge. Uh, we are living in an environment at the moment that doesn't feel safe for parents. So. Parents are quite reactive um, about what's going on around us, whether it's the civil unrest, whether it is COVID, uh, things that are threatening us. And, uh, you know, so we, we, I 
think parents are trying to soften the blow, so to speak, for their children. You've mentioned that kids are maybe a little more unaware of actually what's going on because they're living in their bubble. They're so egocentric uh, that they may not actually be as aware as we think. So that parental anxiety, and I, I talk about the children being able to squeeze your guilt gland. Uh, parents, especially mothers, have a very big guilt gland. And when that guilt gland is squeezed, it's like your children are hitting you in the jugular. They know exactly where to press, where it's going to hurt the most and going to make you jump the highest. So in a way, they're yanking your chain because children know you so well. You just have to lift one eyebrow just a millimeter too high or drop your lip just a millimeter, millimeter too low. And they know exactly what you're thinking, feeling, and that they've got you right where they want you. How do parents take back their power? Well, I think that's, that is very important what you said. Because children can't bring themselves up, a parent has to be in charge. The parent is the authority figure in their child's life, not authoritarian, authoritative. So kids got to know mommy and daddy can handle anything. You know, they, they, they're born in this little world, mom and dad are there. So it's like a pilot of an airplane. We totally know that guys train. If all of a sudden that plane starts going all over the show and if everybody's running around, we're in trouble. They've got to know parents can deal with things. So for instance, I come up, boy, you can play in the lounge, but be careful. The next time they break a vase and the parent goes mad. They've got no idea. It's a piece of glass, number one. Mommy said I could play her. Why is she so cross? The, the, the kid has no value to what he did wrong. So, the, so we, we're battling with boundaries. We're reacting rather than preempting, and that's very important. Parents are being pushed all the way till eventually, because, we, as I said, we're only human beings. There's just so much we can take, but it's going to create huge insecurity for the child. If I can give you an example, you know, if you've got a little rule, Shoes must be put away. And the shoe's lying in the lounge. You just got to, instead of saying, put that shoe back. And I'm warning you, if you don't put that shoe back, that it, you just got to say, don't you want that shoe? Because the child says, I do. But what's it doing here? Because if you do, it just means that you want one of the poor children to have it. Something like that. Now put that shoe away. If he doesn't, it gets confiscated. But the child is saying to you, mom, I don't want my shoe. You got to make a child always aware that they're choosing a consequence. So once you've got preempted structures in the home where the child knows, for instance, if he makes a bad choice, he's choosing the consequence. And, and we can use that for a lot of things. For instance, a lot of kids don't want to eat their supper or they want you to make a special supper. And you can just say, well, this is the house. There's none. Child doesn't want to eat. He doesn't have to eat, but you're not cross. He goes and plays. He gets hungry later on. Well, kitchen's closed. But mommy, I'm hungry. But you told mommy that you don't want to eat. So I just didn't understand why you made a crazy choice. But it's closed. Oh, it's closed. That's how it is. If he cries, he has a tantrum, fine. But he made the choice. And the big thing is we're not making kids aware. That's why I don't use the word punishment. I make them aware they made a bad choice. So if I can give you one more example, I remember with my stepkids, our rule, if I recorded a movie, if anybody deleted the movie, it meant they didn't want to watch TV for a week. And Erica came in one night and I said to her, I don't believe you don't want to watch TV for a week. She said, why? And I told her. She accepted it because she knew the rule. But she came to me three days later and she said, Ken, when can I watch TV again? 
I said to the sweetheart, I wanted you to watch all the time that we had agreed on. But when you deleted the movie, you said to me, you don't want to watch it for a week. It's a week. She accepted it. There was an, another murmur the whole week. So this is where we're getting it wrong. We've got to understand children have to learn to deal with life. Life is not about winning. It's dealing with disappointment. And we're not allowing our kids to feel disappointed. We compensate. Shame. So a little toy broke, we buy them another one. Or they dropped something that, you know, they had an ice cream, it fell out of the cone, and they cry. So what do we do? We pick them up, pat them on the head, and maybe buy them two ice cream. So they've got to learn to deal with these disappointments. How are they going to go through life if they don't deal with disappointments? And we're not doing that. We're not, we're not allowing kids to experience the pain of losing out, losing at a game, and just giving up. Because that becomes a huge, huge problem. So we, we really have got it. When I look at all the, the mothers groups and everybody supports the mothers that are saying, you know, showing their feelings, you don't hurt their feelings, they feel demeaned. Kids do not feel guilty. I can tell you, little kids, they're only about themselves. And I remember in Krugersdorp, I remember I, uh, kids used to shoot birds with catties. And I mean, you know, we couldn't relate that it was a little bird or life and that. We don't have the same feelings that parents tend to think kids have. Kids get other things very quickly, providing the parent is able to deal with the situation. If the parent's able to stay calm, the kid feels safe. It's just knowing how to do that. And we're not teaching parents that at all. We're just sending them off to therapists. <laughs> and, they, and they're coming back worse often, which is a problem. When do children start feeling guilt? You know what? what some sort of age? All right, let me, if I can just explain. Kids are born subjective, impulsive, and selfish. Their world is only about them. So if, if for instance, there's never consequences, uh, they grow up like that. I mean, there's lots of narcissists in this, the world today. They feel nothing for anybody. It's only about them. So if you can, if I, I can give you uh, an example. Uh, I had a mom, also, she's recently divorced, very anxious, and the kid played up every night with his food, etc. And then the one night she phoned me and I, I, she had done the workshops. So I said to her, what are you going to tell him? You know, if he doesn't want to eat, that's fine. I mean, if he's not having his he's not going to have food later on. Needless to say, she still phoned me worrying that the kid might starve to death. But she saw it through. It was hard for her. Kid went to bed hungry. He woke up and the first thing he came and said to her, he said, mommy, I made a bad choice. Hey, now if you can get a kid to say that, a five-year-old, then you know you're winning. So nobody was shouting at the kid. He sat with his problem. He followed through the consequences. He took responsibility. And that's what we're not doing. We're not doing that. And, and, that's, how, and that's how you grow with empathy. Because they, you can only be empathic when you take responsibility for your choice and understand how other people feel. And that's why kids are born tough. They tease each other on the playground. They call each other names. They get over it in a night. They don't go into any trauma. You don't have to have a mommy running to the playground and wanting to kill every kid she sees. So, and we're tending to do that, overreact. And the kids, so, so we've got all sorts of issues where we're not equipping kids properly to go into life. So what is happening? They're growing up self-centered, lacking empathy, lacking grit, giving up and expecting to be managing directors one day after they've come out of art. <laughs> and, this, and then they've got to have relationships. How are we going to have relationships in the future? If you have a look at the social dilemma, that sort of movie, we've got to somehow stop and say, what are we doing? And I'm only saying that for one reason only, 
remedial classes are getting bigger in school. The high achievers are getting smaller. Nobody's stopping to say, but what's going on? This has never happened in history. And, we, and kids are the same little people that were born, even their ancestors when they were born, with the same yeah. skills, the same potential, et cetera. And I really think that it's time to stop carrying on doing what we're doing, getting mothers in a state, marriages being ripped apart, and hardly any improvement with the kid. Mm. I've been saying for many, many years now that we have seen, and that's actually since my children were in uh, preschool and primary school, we're seeing fewer children in the, uh, you know, we used to have a small number of children in, in the difficult category and a small number in the very bright category. And the middle used to be big. And now the middle is shrinking and we have a lot of very bright children who also have emotional issues. And we have a lot of children who have huge difficulties uh, and need re remediation. So, so here's a, just a response to what you've said. Um, and that is that kids play up. And I often think that kids are playing up because they're trying to control the uncontrollable. So if we as adults are out of control, if we are not providing the boundaries, if we are not in charge, children will push until they find the boundary. And if there is no boundary, they keep pushing. And you've said it at least once or twice already that they push until we lose control. And then we shout and then we smack and then we threaten and then we feel guilty and then we go into effect. And there's this whole cycle that starts, that it actually has the children in control. We are actually not in control in that situation. And with the examples that you were talking about, you're actually saying to parents, stay calm, be factual, have few rules, stick to them, and there's a consequence for the choice that you make. It's, it's, that's really as simple and as difficult as it is, because it is simple in concept, difficult in practice, just because maybe it's different to how we've been doing things in the past. And yet so many parents who have followed your principles talk about overnight successes, literally within 24 to 48 hours, the behavior that was just so compromising, whether it was a child who refused to um, you know, poo in the loo and was pooing in their pants, or a child who was refusing to study, say an older child, um, suddenly those behaviors are gone because the negotiation is over. It's no longer a negotiation and a ma manipulation. It is a done deal. Yeah, but what I say to parents, when they tell me how their kids have changed, I said, no, you've changed. Kids don't change. Parents change. And one of the things, there's a hierarchy of needs, which I can't go into now, for that kids need. The first is their physical needs. They've got to be clothed and fed in order to self-actualize. So a kid that's on the street freezing cold, you can't educate him. If Einstein was born on the street like that, he wouldn't have been Einstein. But once we, most of us meet those needs, the next one is that emotionally safe. And that's where things are going wrong because of the screaming and shouting. Because once they don't feel emotionally safe, they don't always feel accepted because there's too much inconsistency. And they don't feel respected. And then they don't respect you. So the moment you've got this chaos going on in the home, they don't want to learn. Learning, we've got to remember, kids are not doing well at school because they're choosing not to learn. They, 
learning is a choice. Reading is a choice. Why are kids choosing not when, when they should be? They're born with curiosity. A little kid is born facing life. He can't wait to get out there. He's curious. He's passionate. He's asking questions. There all sorts of things. They've got the ability to persevere and so on, but totally dependent on an adult to help them. And I always say, you know, we guiding children into adulthood, they are accompanying us. They are barometer in terms of our job. So if we find at six years old, you remember kids have also got to say, they whining, they're losing their temper, they don't get their own way. We've got to ask ourselves, what's going wrong here? You know, what, what am I doing? Maybe I need to, it's like baking a cake. We've got the ingredients, which are the kids, no recipe. If the cake flops, we can't send the cake to a scientist to find out what's wrong with the cake. The baker, without first looking at the baker, did he check everything or she? And but if you've got this crazy thing, we're sending off all these cakes to check it, check out some scientists that all you've got is a parent that's leaving the oven on too high, putting far too much baking powder in, you know, and 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 nobody just helping them. So we've, we've really got to change our thinking. And if it's reached a point that is just, it's just crazy what's going on. And, and, and it's costing a lot of money and a lot of stress. And parents don't deserve to have that stress when they love their kids so much. And nobody's helping them. And they're often getting wrong information. I had one mom, five-year-old was diagnosed with depression. How can a five-year-old be depressed? When I said to, did you ask the, 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 the psychiatrist, what you need to do as a mom? She said, yes. What do the psychiatrist say? There's nothing you can do. It's genetic. Now, how do you make a statement like that, which is absolutely false? And this is the message that a lot of parents are getting. And I, this is why I believe that as professionals, we need to be trained to understand their the role as parents. Parents can ask three different therapists the same question. They'll get three different answers and then get more confused. No, no, there ain't much you can do. We'll sort your kid out. Which it's, it's not happening, but we just carry on doing it. So I just think there's a time now because, and maybe that's what COVID's about, to give us a wake-up call to save the world because we are not bringing up kids. And once they're teenagers, that really have the empathy, the staying power, the grit, nothing. And, uh, and they're ending up dropping out of varsity. They've got the, the chick, they've got the car, they've got the attitude. And they want to be managing directors. So we, we, we've got a big problem. You can see it in relationships also, you know, spinning off there. There's far too many narcissists around, marriages taking strain. And you look back at the childhood and you'll find the answers there. Mm. There's a, a phrase that uh, you use often, which is learned helplessness. Yeah. Um, and I think this is worth exploring because what you're actually alluding to is that in a sense, we are sabotaging our children and the end result in sabotaging them wittingly or unwittingly is that they get left in a state of learned helplessness in which results in failed relationships, which results in a child who stops trying, who gives up too soon, who doesn't have the grit and the determination, who doesn't have the resilience to deal with life and all the curveballs that it throws at them. Can you unpack that concept for us? Sure. Remember what we got to try and I'll just go back a bit. Would be our job is to help instill some sort of meaning to life for children, meaning to reading, meaning to maths, where they don't, where they just don't have to be entertained. So what is there's a trend today which is happening as well. 
is that because kids have been at home, when they're going to school, a lot of kids, they go to school because they have to rather than they want to. But they don't even have to listen in class. Because when they come home, somebody's helping them. Either mom's helping with the homework and or pair, or they're being sent for extra lesson. Now, being, be saying to them, don't worry about listening in class because you're going to get help. Now, that means they're not engaging with what's being taught. They're showing no interest because when they get home, they've got all sorts of other activities that, that is happening. And at, and at the end of the day, why should they learn? And one of the things I've observed, Nikki, which has been really interesting, I've been to a lot of homes, kids have got a million toys. I've got a friend now, that's how I noticed, a million toys. When we were young, the idea of toys was to have, to have fantasy play, a little tea party, cowboys and crooks. Kids cannot play with toys, uh, the majority, in any fantasy play. I've got this friend now, the kid got a lovely doll's house. The child didn't know what to do with the doll's house, but she, she just looked at it. There was no creativity coming about that. And you have a look, there are so many kids that are not using their imagination. Now, how creative are they going to be at the end of the day? They're bored. How can a kid be bored? Mm. A little five-year-old. So, so we've got all of these things happening, and nobody's saying, but how can it be? What's going on with this child that they live in this world? So that learned helplessness is really, and they've done quite a lot of research on it, but you'll find kids with learning difficulties, a lot of them are helpless. They can do nothing without the parent. They'll come in and they'll say, Mom, please help me with my maths, and they haven't even opened the book. They haven't even tried. So it's starting there, and there's just too much of it, far too much. And a lot of kids are not properly school-ready, and they're just being carried, and they've got attitude, and it's starting down there in the pre-primary school, which I think has been a bit of a nightmare for parents. Okay, going back to that example you've just given, the child comes home, he's got homework to do, and before he even opens the textbook, he's saying, Mum, please help. How do we fix that? I think at the end of the day, it's, it's really easy. You've got to create a structure. They've got to have a structure. You come home, you do your homework. You try. Do you want to watch a bit of TV tonight? Sure. It means that you you want to do your homework. Now, I know when I tell the kids, I was at home, the reading, for instance. Now, reading is a very good example. They knew in grade one, I sat into the reading. The rule was if they stumbled over more than two words a page, they were saying to me, Ken, I haven't learned my reading hard enough. I better go and learn harder. I was never cross. I never said you don't know it and go. They knew what that rule was, and I didn't bend. Obviously, if they were making an effort in a little paragraph and they had the odd stumble, they read the paragraph over. But those kids knew how where they stood. So, and I was very really light about it. But what happened there? When they came to me, they could read, and they saw their marks improve. They saw them being acknowledged at school, and they were at school that had four languages in grade three. So. Kids can do it, but you've got to be prepared as a parent that kids got to try. And let me tell you what's happening with another trend. If a child comes to another reading, we're not testing reading properly. We're letting them stumble over their words and say they've done their reading. They haven't. The same with spelling. The rule's got to be you've got 15 words. If you get more than two wrong, you saying to mommy, mommy, I haven't learned hard enough. I better go and learn again. And kids don't want to, but you make them aware they made the choice. We're not making them go and learn. They're telling us they better go and learn. Now, there's a trend with maths as well. If a parent sees that the kid can't get their two first two maths homework sums right, they have not listened in class. So what they need to do is take the child to the school the next day, and the kid's got to say to the teacher, sir or miss, 
I didn't understand the work yesterday. When can you teach me? Parents should not be teachers of their kids. They've got a first listening class. That's what you're paying teachers for. And why is it important? So they just don't always have to come to mom. They've got to get used to putting their hand up in class, trying their best within a group of kids and not be shy and all withdrawn. So we've got to try and see the bigger picture all the time, that kids have to do what they're supposed to do on their own. And I always said a little five-year-old going into the, wants to go and buy some stationery, a parent can stay at the door and say, you go in on your own, show the list to that man there, let him help you, ask him where the crayons and the pens are, and they can walk with a little bag to the till, and then you can pay. You're not doing any of that. Mm. They've got to get used to a world without mom. That's why I'm saying parents stay at parties with kids. What for? A kid must learn if they want, for instance, they're at a party and they know everybody, they want to go to the toilet, they go in and say, Auntie so-and-so, where's the toilet, please? And go to the toilet alone. Not grab mom, mom on a wee, and off they go. So we know what are these little things? The small things we're not focusing on, the manners, the knocking on the door, the pleases, the thank you, the whining. It's just crazy, sitting up straight. They're flopping all over the shop. And they've got OT problems, etc. So if you can see, we can go on and on. <laughs> As you can see, it's all related. Well, there's an analogy that I'd like to bring up here, and that is that in this world of devices, children, if they are on a screen, are getting audio prompts and visual prompts all the time. So uh, they don't have to think necessarily what to do next, because the whatever program or app they're on or game they're on will tell them what the next step or stage is. And I often watch young children today, you know, you were saying about uh, the child who got the doll's house, not knowing what to do with the doll's house. I think I sometimes can feel that when children are thinking and trying to apply their minds to something, even if it is opening a box or a box toy and deciding what am I going to play, how am I going to build it, whatever, it's almost hurting their brains because they haven't been really engaging their brains in a deep way. Uh, you know, that deep curiosity that leads to real problem solving and, and creativity. Um, you know, they, they're not having to do it because there's so much scaffolding and support around them, whether it is because of a device, an app, or an extra, extra lesson teacher, or a remedial therapist, or as you've mentioned, the parent who is so available and willing uh, to stop the gaps and really doesn't want their child to feel any kind of discomfort, frustration, pain, or disappointment. Yeah, but one of the big problems is that kids, and especially with these computer games, you know, the, the thrill of playing in a soccer team and scoring the winning goal, you can never have that on a computer. The, the pain of missing an open goal and losing the game, you can't have that on a computer. Kids are going through none of those experiences. But the worst part is when they're not being entertained on the screen, they don't know what to do with themselves. They don't want to, I've just got had a 14-year-old. It's mind-blowing. We don't seem to understand. This little guy stays connected on his phone to his girlfriend, mind you. 14, where they talk, they don't, they say goodnight, but they don't switch the phones off. They're like connected. Now, this is a sort of trend that's happening with, with the teenagers, with attitude, totally addicted. And it's a genuine addiction. It's not like a, a threat addiction. It's a genuine addiction when that's all kids are doing. And we're allowing these kids, to, as I said, you might as well let them smoke grass in their room all day. 
I said it to the little 14 year old, can your mom allow you to smoke grass in your room all day? Because he cannot keep himself occupied and he's, he has no idea what to do with himself at 14. And be, but the, the danger signs are early on. We've got to understand kids have got to try. And if they want to watch the paint dry, because they bored, that's fine. They will eventually think of something to do. But you don't go running around <laughs> yeah, playing with it. Kids can't play on their own. They've got to have mommy there. Now, that is also a big, big problem. Kids are born to play on their own. Why can't they play on their own? So we'd be not looking at these little things that are actually quite big things, like knocking on a door. They can't just barge or just lying on mommy's bed, watching TV, jumping on the bed. All of these little things means there's no structure. The kid... The kids are brought up just like a, a loose cannon, if you, if you know what I mean. A burst bag of marble. And let's talk for a minute about helping children feel safe in these times and regression that can happen when children don't feel safe or when life is out of control. And that could be the birth of a sibling that knocks the power structure or the attention structure uh, in a family. So a child who's been an only child suddenly gets a sibling and it feels like they've lost control of the world and their parents' affection and attention. Now they have to share. I mean, this is all part of learning how to be in the world. But uh, as parents, can you give parents some, um, some advice on how to handle this? Because this is where things can get really out of control very quickly if things are not nipped in the bud and if the right um, boundaries and conversations are not, uh, right boundaries aren't put into place and the right conversations are not had with children about what they choose in these situations and circumstances. Yeah, look, I think it's important. If you brought your kid up like they should have been brought up where they can play alone, they're happy, we're not their playmates on demand every time and just running around them all the time, that is already setting a groundwork of distraction when you bring in another kid. And then the kid wants to hold the newborn baby. They actually want to throw it against the wall, I think, every now and then. And at the end of the day, they got to, there's got to be a line of respect between an adult and a child. The moment we, we blur that, we be partly their mate and we partly at their beck and call, they're going to grow up not knowing those boundaries and thinking they're allowed to do all these things. So it's very important to understand, a parent to understand, we want this child to feel good about themselves. It's all about self-esteem. Self, a dependent child has low self-esteem. As they get older, they lack self-discipline. So if he's become too dependent, of course a newborn child is going to be a bit of a threat. And then they want, but mommy, let me hold the child. But mommy, you haven't played with me, or you never play with me, or you don't love me. Instead of now the mom gets panicky, <laughs> dad's got to come into the picture, and there's no sense of security for the kid. Because we up and down. Whereas if the parents were, were calm, they had clear rules. The kid has to play. If he wants to cry for a bit, he can cry. It's not the end of the world. He's not going to be traumatized. So they've got to understand child needs to feel that the parents are safe. He's got to get used to having a new kid in the house. If he can't, he can cry all day in his room, as long as you're not cross. But he'll get over it. Only The only thing that affects children is abuse. Physical, sexual, verbal, emotional. They're tough as nails. But just don't abuse them. But the screaming and shouting makes him insecure. There's no question about it. And once we can understand, I always use that. that part. When we get into an airplane, we don't, we don't even know the pilot, but we really just assume that he can fly that plane. Imagine if 
if he couldn't. And that's now parents, the kids assume that we can parent. It's exactly the same thing. And they get totally confused when you get out of control. And but the thing is, nobody's helping the parents. And nobody's helping the parents to understand their job and the impact that if they overprotect or they overcompensate or they're too strict, you know, or too authoritarian, etc., you're going to have problems. And there are good reasons why. You know, in terms of a child's security, feeling good about themselves, and so on. It's all related to that. And the problem is it's totally ignored with kids. It's totally ignored. And that is the big problem, like the overprotected kid. That's never brought up. From my experience, and I've been to a few remedial classes and schools, I think all kids in remedial schools are overprotected, to be honest. They can't work on their own. And then you're paying a lot of money to have a teacher sitting next to him and helping him all the time. So at the end of the day, we 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 not we, we really seeing kids as different objects to how they were seen 50 years ago or 100 years ago, and they got they got special feelings that you never had. Talking talking of feelings, so you know you've you've raised the fact that you know your child might be sad for a while, and it's okay for them to cry for a bit. So we you're saying that emotions are really okay. It's okay for kids to express those emotions. Uh, so that's the key is it's okay for them to be sad it's okay for them to be angry as long as you're not cross you're just saying it's okay you can go to your room and you can be angry you can be sad yeah but you see one of the problems kids have if a parent's cross with a kid now the kid doesn't know how to make the parent feel better just get away just get away still cross with you now kids take the office to do anything they're going to get very insecure with that because they don't know what the parent's problem is. They don't know, so what's, what was such a big deal when you let me play uh, and I broke something? Or oh, I didn't listen. When all we did was nag instead of follow through in a consequence early on. Parents should know their kids. They know pretty much how they might play up in places. They've got to preempt the whole situation and then get the kids buy-in and agree to what the rules are wherever it is. And we don't do that. We just often just pray and then, you know, bite our lip until we eventually lose it. But a kid does not understand what your problem is. And it becomes hectic if, uh, if the parent doesn't want to talk to them afterwards. You know, I'm still cross with you. Or there's another little one that slips the parents, the favorite. You know, the parent talks to that one. Yes, love, what would you like? And this little naughty one, yes, what do you want? The, the, the one that's the good one knows exactly how to get the little one into trouble. And we'll milk it. And then we don't notice those little dynamics. So the, it's all to be, we've got to have that boundary of respect and we've got to manage the kids the same. We can't just be nice to a favorite one or the one that's really naughty, not look at or understand the dynamics between those kids. What is going on here? Because remember, they're making choices. Why are they making choices? Unacceptable choices, et cetera. So it's all about parents being able to say, you know what, I need to learn. That's all you've got to do. You're not a bad parent. We can never be perfect parents, but we can be good enough parents. And I think that's really important. Nobody wants a perfect parent. But it seems that a lot of parents do get worried, you know, that uh, if there's something wrong with their child, maybe it's them. And we, we're giving them all sorts of messages. And it's not. We love our kids. But we've got to understand there's always a reason for the kids Choices. They're not brain damaged. You know, you'll you know your kid's brain damaged at 11 o'clock every day they stop tap dancing, you know, and uh, they're making choices. 
And once they're making choices, we've got to understand why they're making those choices and what are the consequences. So it's all a question of understanding our job. And it's the most fantastic feeling. I think like, you know, you mentioned my stepkids. It's just the most unbelievable feeling. Yeah, we went down on Friday, they're 20 now. They don't remember one incident of screaming in a house. Not once. No sibling rivalry, nothing. Because they, they, and they've seen their friends. Because there is a way of doing it in this day, where it is structured, where there is discipline, where you can get kids to feel about, about, good about themselves. It's all there. We've just got to try and get people to understand and, and uh, maybe get the word out there, especially with COVID. We're tending to do just what we shouldn't be doing. Mm. Yeah, falling into the trap. Uh, falling into the trap and rather we should be looking at Smart Choice Parenting, which is your program, uh, which is really all about helping parents to make smarter choices, who in turn help their children to make smarter choices. Ken, this has been such an insightful conversation. And what struck me was uh, just a couple of things. A reminder that the journey of parenting is to take the child to independence. And yes. for the most part these days, we are keeping our children very dependent on us. Whenever I ask a question in a parenting talk, I ask parents to tell me what their wish for their children is. And the first hand that goes up is success. And the second hand that goes up is happiness. They want their kids to be successful and happy. And yet so much of what we're doing does not ensure success and happiness, because I think that is the wrong goal. The goal needs to be resilient, resourceful, independent children who are going to leave us one day. And I think yeah. often, especially with mums, we love to be needed. We really do. And the minute our children don't need us, we create a need, which actually is part of this manipulation cycle. Uh, it's, it's, it's part of this continuum of not letting children go and be in the world uh, by themselves, actually by themselves. That is the goal, is yeah. how can they actually cope with life without you? And I think the first time many parents think about that is once their children are in you know, the late, latter years of high school when it's almost too late. And we see yeah. these kids going off to university or staying and dig somewhere and unable to cook and iron and clean and do. And I, I, I did laugh uh, when my, my son was in, uh, shared a digs with somebody and he phoned me, he said, mom, I am having to teach this guy to sweep and mop. He's never touched anything like this. He's never washed a dish before. Uh, I'm having to teach him how to cook. You know, all the basics that uh, were part of a normal childhood in my home, uh, in so many homes, that is not the norm. And you have said it so often in this conversation that children are confused as to whether their parents are parents, whether they are servants, whether they are their friends. Who, who is this person? What role do they play in, in my life? It's not clear as the boundaries uh, are not clear and the choices are not clear. So our communication has to really go up a few notches. Um, and then there was also, you know, you were talking about looking for the reason why children make the choices that they make and how we always think that our children are the ones who need therapy and help. I have a saying where I say, fix yourself and you'll fix your child. And when you're pointing one finger out, there are always three fingers pointing back at you. 
So before we start lambasting our children or overprotecting our children, you know, those, those real extremes, um, we need to really look at those three fingers pointing back at us. And I do think our children are so perceptive. They are so responsive to who we are and how we show up in the moment. And I think you've just really confirmed that. So thank you for giving so generously of your time, your wisdom, and your experience. If parents are interested in getting hold of you, Ken, how do they get hold of you? And can you tell us a little bit more about your book? Because you've got a book, um, yeah. Parenting Decoded, I think it is. Yeah. And perhaps you can tell us where we can get a hold of that book as well. Yeah, the book, you can either contact me. I've got a website, uh, smartchoiceparenting.co.za, or you can... Uh, Email me on info at smartchoiceparenting.co.za. So the book actually has the program in it, but it's got a lot of insights. The whole idea of the book is to try and help parents to manage their child, to, to understand the whole approach is about empowering parents to empower their children to become independent people. And if I can just mention the two books that are out that are good, uh, both American, the one is called The Coddling of the American Mind. I can't remember the authors now. And the, the, coddling, called, the coddling of the American mind, right? Yeah, yeah. The other one's called The Collapse of Parenting by a guy called Max, honestly, I forgot his surname, that he's done a lot of stats in terms of what is happening with kids. And, and we really got to see that. You know, there's been a huge spike in teenage suicides, kids born after the year 2005, and, and uh, with girls. And with boys as well. And boys just hugely addicted to games. So there are frightening statistics coming out regarding this. But at the end of the day, it really is about parents saying, you know what, I don't know at all. And you must remember what you just touched on. We all a bit screwed up because we were brought up by parents. They tried their best, but they never acknowledged they screwed us up. You either let them down or you made them proud because of them. So if you're going to marry somebody that's also a little bit screwed up. So we're never going to have perfect kids. But we can definitely have happy kids and kids that are self-motivated and this sort of thing. It's just being prepared to understand what we have to do and the impact of when we don't get it right. Ken, thank you so much. Uh, this has been so, so enlightening. And to our listeners, don't forget uh, about Ken's book and his program, Smart Choice Parenting. And of course, there's also my book, Future Proof Your Child, which is available in all bookstores as well as on nickybush.com. Thanks again, Dr. Ken Resnick. And to our listeners, please send through your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nickybush.com. You're invited to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.